launch left an intentional space for art and activism a podcast a label a launch pad for left of center artists my name is rain phoenix and today's guest is roisin murphy with her new record roisin machine please don't forget to rate and subscribe follow us on all socials at launch left welcome to the show thank you it's so lovely to have you your music is so joyful we need that today and every day yeah, there's, there's plenty of joy there. There's a lot of error as well, but uh, it's got the both sides. Yeah, it's great to dance to, which is what the joy part that I was mentioning makes you want yeah. to dance. And that brings, you know, the heart bubbling. And that's a good thing. I've been dancing all my, all my days. Yeah, that's my question. Uh, how did music find you? Like as a kid, what was the first time you were like, oh, this is going to save my life? Well, um, I was surrounded by music as a child, completely enveloped by it. People sang all the time. Um, my father's generation, mother's generation, they seemed to be all really into music for starters. So we were around a lot of music and my uncle was a great big musician in the area and had lots of bands and was a band leader and it was pitch perfect. He played every kind of instrument, sang amazing. Had a couple of jazz bands when I was growing up as a kid. Would play all day sessions on Sundays in the summer. And I was going to them as far back as I can, literally as I can remember. It might be one of my first memories dancing there to, you know, to track jazz and so on. <laughs> wow, so it was kind of in your DNA. It's like from your earliest memory was music and, and dancing. Like by osmosis, you know, they, yeah, they, yeah. They, they kind of like discovered I could sing because I learned a song um, when I was nine, Don't Cry For Me Argentina. And when I remember vividly standing in front of me, Nana and my Auntie Linda, my Uncle Jim, who was a musician, I remember them all going, oh, Jesus, she can sing, she can sing, you know. And then it was just hell on earth. Every time they had a few drinks, they would be running after me. Can we talk a little bit about th your new record? Roisin Machine, yeah. To have an album <clears throat> in the old days and then you tour it for a year and a half or two years and then you do another album, take as long as you like. And everything took longer and everything was more seasonal and blocky, you know, and now everything is more, everything is all at once. It was 10 years in the making, I heard, is that right? Like, uh, you know, you, used, you said you used to have yeah. a schedule. But this one took a little longer, right? Or you let it just find its own way? Well, I think the way to put it is that it was an idea fully formed 10 years ago. And it was been on the boil and then off the boil and on the boil again and off the boil for, for a while. And we did have quite a lot to, to achieve after we signed it as an album project. We'd had already out simulation 10 years ago, which is on the album slightly different. Everything is slightly different on the album to any other version that you might find elsewhere, of which there are many. And all the versions are part of the story. The album's on one facet of the story of this project. The remixes are really important too. Anyway, so there was simulation. And then a few years later, we put out Jealousy. It's like this Love that building. song. Yeah. And then, and then there was a big gap whereby I fell in love with an Italian producer and I made some Italian music just out of the love of that. And out of that, I started to work with 
an old colleague who was my musical director all live and also did loads of string arrangements for Maloko, was in Maloko essentially, Eddie Stevens. I found out, having asked him to help us on the Italian thing, that he was a brilliant producer in the meantime. Since I'd stopped touring, he'd become a producer. And so then I, my kids went away for four weeks and we made two albums together. So that took about a while to come out, scheduling-wise, you know. I'm so, you know, many people ask me to write songs for them, and I'd love to. And I say, I can go in and write the song for you, but where are we going to put it in the release schedule? Because I've got so much backed up already. And then anyway, so all that stuff happened in the, in the interim, and then... Then another project came along where I was desperate to work with a guy called Maurice Fulton for years. And uh, Maurice is the kind of character that I knew when he said he was ready, I had to drop everything and go and do it. Um, I always ask two questions. I asked the first, which is how did music find you? And the, the second one I like to ask is, what is your form of activism or what ignites uh, you know, the part of you that like that fights for something and how does that translate into your music or however you want to answer that basic question yeah i mean i do think to the one, there's something that i always talk about um that's i guess is me and my cause really is that uh, i was 15 when my family crumbled uh, my wonderful amazing family and both back together again since then and everything else fantastic family but they crumbled at that point and my parents broke up and we were in Manchester and my mother went one way and my father went the other way. And I didn't want to go with either of them. And I wanted to stay in my, really in my music scene. I didn't want to go back to Ireland and I didn't want to go with my dad. And I want to stay with my friends and I wanted to stay, continue building the life I'd already started to build myself. You know, I'd already started to to make myself, you know, and uh, I was sure I wanted to stay. So I stayed with some friends, parents of my friend, with my friend, Duncan, for a month or so. And then I turned uh, 16. On the day I turned 16, the uh, British government gave me housing benefit. And I had found myself a flat near all my friends, a few minutes walk to my sixth form college. And um, it was, it was just wonderful. It was like in a big old Victorian house and you walked in the front door, my, my bedroom was there. It was a big Victorian high ceiling room. I had a shared hallway with other people and a shared bathroom, oh, big old bathroom. And then around the corner, I had my sitting room, which had a circular orange sofa in it. And then the kitchen was there. And that went out on the most magnificent garden. And in the garden, I had my own outside toilet, which was a disgrace to humanity. But anyway, it was the best place ever. And, um, and in that, I became extremely independent. And something in me really uh, crystallized. And um, we'll, I'll, I'll always be that 15-year-old girl that made that decision. Even, even at the hardest times in my life, we go back to her. She was so strong. But she was very privileged to have had that from the British government, to have money every week, to have the housing benefit. This is now not possible. This is 
you can't get a housing benefit until I think you're 21 here. And so in my situation, I wouldn't have been given that independence and that space to put my own pictures on the wall and make my own home. And I was, I went everywhere in Manchester, by the way, I went very dangerous places, very regularly on the face of it. Nothing ever happened to me, yeah. So an inner strength just kept building from that. And then by the time I walked into a record company when I was 20 years old, you know, I was intimidating and nobody fucked with me from, uh, even from then, really. Obviously, Brighton was quite intimidating as well. Northern, very northern from, from Sunderland, very quiet, man a few words. Fucking why? And people didn't mess with him either. But they didn't mess with me. And, um, you know, I just really would, if I had to fight for anything, it would be getting that back for, for kids because independence is what we're really taking away from children bit by bit from earlier on as well. I mean, obviously, I had the kind of freedom as a child to come home from school and throw me bag there and go out and explore or be an exhibitionist or whatever it was that I wanted to do with myself. And um, our kids don't really have that so much anymore. And they also have to stay at home till they're 28 and 30 years old, you know, and stuff like that. It's not, it's not healthy. So that was my greatest privilege I've, mm. I've ever had. And it's a privilege I'd like people to have. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Otherwise, I would say, I let uh, my gut do the talk and do the talk, and um, I let it be known. I think it's known. I hope it's understood that even within all the dissonance in the work, all the different stories that I'm telling and the different images that I'm throwing out there, that people know that it comes from a real place. It comes from the heart, and that I work with music people who are in my world and they're in my let's say orbit their planets in the same music orbit but it's a natural thing that happens and it comes from um a true place and that for me i think should do should do the political talking for the work because i'm so i'm so into every crevice of it yeah. Everything that you see is of me and from me, and everything that you hear is blood, sweat, and tears. More of a collaboration than what you see. Uh, you know, what you see is a lot what I've been the boss of. But in the music case, because you, if you have a beautiful piece of music or a great piece of music, you can kind of throw any image at it and it will sort of sing, you know. It's, you really started out at a good point in terms of making imagery if you've got good music. Yeah, totally. So uh, I do have to be very uh, humble and uh, I have to have a certain modesty about approaching these sort of maverick producers that I tend to go for. And... Um, I have to be really prepared to take a learning curve every time I take on a new collaborator. And I go, it's a very deep collaboration with the music uh, guys. And they trust me, you know, to a degree that, that I don't have to work for their trust in certain ways that I do in other spheres that I work. 
creatively. Are there any bands that you're really excited about right now that you've been listening to this summer that you want to share with our audience? Well, I, I was going to talk about Rhythm and Sound, our um, basic channel. They're known as a few things, and they're also a few labels. And it was really a kind of uh, scene that came out of, there's two guys, uh, Moritz and Mark and or something like that. I've only just got into it, seriously. It's been, it's something that's happened really at the beginning of the 90s in Berlin and uh, is uh, kind of dub techno that they came out of and then they went really into dub and I'm, I'm super into dub at the moment and uh, so I've been listening to a lot. I started off by listening to the rhythm and sound stuff, which is really more Jamaican sound and proper dope. I mean, the basic channel stuff that's earlier and, well, concurrent as well, I think, is more uh, minimal dubbed techno. But I'm getting more into that side of it now, too. But I do love a bit of dub. And this record uh, is quite dubbed has an influence of a sort of disco dub. So I've noticed on your YouTube that you have been posting really cool kind of at-home videos during lockdown to some of your songs. Can you tell me a little more about that? Yeah, well, I mean, I've been directing all the videos for a long time. These are a bit different to videos. They're real uh, live vocal to track, uh, and they're live take from my lighting engineer that works with me live. He brought all the live kind of content that I use on the screens. And um, I dressed up in various different guises and did a few performances where the content video footage is beamed onto me or beamed into the room or, and all that's done as a live take as well, a live vision mix, if you like. And so we did them during lockdown. And in the summer I was in Ibiza on holiday, but because I'm a machine, <laughs> I had to do some work. So toward the end of the holiday, I was ringing London going, right, get me, I need a cinematographer and I need a sound person. And basically I made two more um, live vocal, live performances, but I started to move the camera and it's in the elements, it's in the wildness, it's in the sunset, it's it's in our home, in Ibiza as well as the other one, which feels a bit more, more locked in again, but still it's outside and it's uh, there's horses and there's <laughs> there's everything. I threw the book at it and um, they're, they're live performances, you know, so. Such a great idea and so well done, like really fun to watch, you know, and just like an inventive way to use the lockdown time. Roisin machine, get it? It's out. It's a real tongue twister. It is. It's hard to say. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank All you. right. Have a wonderful day. I feel my story is still untold. But I'll make my own happy ending.
Launch Left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields. 